You are now listening to the May 4th broadcast of Unity in Christ. This hour, we have Walking Our Talk, Grace Upon Grace, and it's time to pray the Bible. First, let's begin with Walking Our Talk. Welcome to Walking Our Talk with Alan and Polly Heller. In this podcast series, Alan and I will discuss material adapted from our book, The Marital Mystery Tour. Join us as we share practical steps to put into action God's principles from His Word, one step at a time. Welcome. Hi, Polly. Hi, Alan. Good to have you here today. Well, and thank you. We're going to be talking about more on commitment. And one of the things that we talked about last time is the commitment that we have in our marriage. This is based on our Marital Mystery Tour book, uh, which you can get at walkandtalk.org or uh, from Amazon. We also did a, a audio of that. So you can go to Audible and get that. But um, we had talked about uh, Gary Inrig and his book, Whole Marriages in a Broken World. And we were talking about uh, what commitment is, uh, the difference between a covenant and a contract. So in marriage, a contract does not read, I, Gary, take you, Elizabeth, uh, so this is Gary Inrig, to be cook, companion, housekeeper, and sexual partner. I entrust myself to her, and she entrusts herself to me. That's the essence of a covenant. So it's a, a commitment. Covenant is a public, visible commitment. It's permanent. In the Old Testament, it was basically done. <laughs> you, you only break it through death. Um, and yet today, the whole thing of till death do us part isn't even part of the marriage ceremony at times. It's May I feel sparkling uh, bubbles and uh, snowflakes? <laughs> I don't know what people think they're committing to. String but, music playing in the background. You know, he we he writes that um, covenants are high maintenance items. They require continual attention to sustain their vitality. It'll take work to maintain a covenant with one another. In a faith-based marriage, our first commitment, in every sense of the word, must be to the Lord, and then, as Romans 12, 1 says, um, you know, we present ourselves a living sacrifice. The Apostle Paul strongly urges all believers to present our bodies a living, holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service of worship. Many well-intentional couples enter into their nuptial vows riding on a wave of emotion and Blinded by the stars in their eyes, they think the strength of their love for one another will be enough to carry them through the trials of life without considering that God calls them each individually first to a commitment to himself. So our commitment is to each other, and then uh, it, it can't be done without our commitment to God. And in and of ourselves... <laughs> It's just so hard to love one another because we're so different and we have things that we don't like about each other. Um, we love because he first loved us, it says in 1 John 4, 19. 
And uh, we need to be able to have that commitment to God in order to love one another. So mm-hmm. what do you think about that, hon? Well, I agree in a, in a Christian marriage and just in, in the Christian life in general, our lives are, are the Lord's. And we have to understand that the very foundation of our life is dying to self and living through Christ. We have no righteousness of our own. We have no strength of our own, which is not to say that we don't have muscles and bones and any and physical strength and stamina, but to live a life that is pleasing to God on that spiritual plane, we need to not try to do it by our own self-effort. We need to release ourselves to the Lord and be always listening to what the Spirit is saying to us uh, and do it as unto him. And Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. I only say the words that I hear the Father telling me to say. Right. And... And it's that same way he, he was setting a model for us about how we're to live our lives. If we if we listen, if we just kind of tilt our heads like our dogs do when we, <laughs> when we say a word that's familiar to them, like ball, treat, treat. <laughs> um, we we tilt our heads and we listen for what God is saying to us, and then we live that out in our lives, and and we're called to do that in all of our Christian lives, and especially in our marriage, because that is a commitment that we make to one another before the Lord. And in Christ, we, the two, become one flesh. And so that one flesh relationship is a covenant relationship. We are no longer two but one. So we well, can't we've be... given that illustration of like a, two pieces of paper glued together. That right. oneness, if you split those apart and it's a great, you know, object lesson to glue them together and then try and split them apart. And then some of the papers on one side and you rip the other piece of paper. And, you know, I have people in counseling that will say, we just want a, a good divorce. <laughs> I mean, I'm going... How can you have a good divorce if the two have become one? Even if you didn't believe in the Lord, the principle is still true. You're ripping apart something that God meant to be joined together, and you never come out of it without scars. Yeah, that's true. And yet, at the same time, I want to say that certainly God says there's forgiveness. There is no unpardonable sins, and so... But our society and even our Christian community has taken it to the point where sometimes uh, I say, well, you know, I'm not happy in this marriage and, and therefore I'm out of here and they don't think there'll be any scars. And uh, at the beginning, maybe that's true, but very quickly they find out there are all kinds of scars from ripping what God has put together. Right. But here's the thing. We're, we're talking about all the the disadvantages that occur when you try to to rip apart this covenant relationship. But look at the positive side. What does that covenant mean to us? It means that we have each other's strength 
added to our own so that the the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. When I add your strength to my strength, I am with together with you much stronger than I am as an individual. I can accomplish more because you have so much more drive and determination and um, well, you have drive and determination when you disagree <laughs> with me. That's a- Right. But I also hesitate. I am also cautious. And so there are, there are things that I would never even get started if it weren't for what you bring into our relationship. So that piece of the covenant is, is to our advantage. And we, I think we need to see it that way, not... Um, what's the damage that we can do to each other when we rip it apart, but what is the positive benefit of staying connected to each other? Well, I think, again, that's God's desire. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And he says before that, he talks about mutually submitting one to another in the fear of God. And if we are fearing God, I think we will mutually submit to one another. There won't be the abuses that go on. But we were just contrasting what happens when you try and do it on your own and what happens when you do it God's way. And, you know, it is hard to love. I mean, uh, we don't really have it in us to love one another, but how do we get that love? And it's sort of a good segue. Maybe you in the audience, maybe you've never actually received Jesus Christ, and maybe you've never made a commitment to him. Maybe you've never laid yourself on uh, the proverbial altar of uh, sacrifice and giving yourself a sacrifice to him and just saying, Lord, I need you. Come into my life. Make me the kind of person you want me to be. Forgive my sins, the separation between me and you, I need you, and I need you in order to make not only marriage work, I need you because I can't make my life work. And if you've never done that, I'd really encourage you right now to just say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Make me the kind of person you want me to be. Forgive my sins and allow me to have a relationship with you so I can love other people the way I'm supposed to, including my spouse. Thank you. And if you pray that, he's come into your life and he does the work. Uh, he, he comes in and floods our soul with life and sh- teaches us how to love one another. He wants to be in full control and he wants to give you life. And John 10.10 says, he came that they might give you life and he might give it to you abundantly. That means more than enough for uh, you. So on a, on a different uh, sort of not different topic, but one of the things when we commit to each other is uh, because we've been talking about this whole idea of commitment, we have different needs, different wants. We also have different personalities. And so with Polly and I, you know, Polly, you tend to be a what? You tend to be a thinker. And I, <laughs> yes, she's going through her notes right I now, thinking, thinking, and I'm trying to get 
on our script here. So I tend to be a feeler. We're sort of opposites. Most men tend to be thinkers and go for the objective. And I, I still have plenty of that in me. But for whatever reason, I tend to be a feeler more than a thinker. So I feel things very deeply and I act on them. And Pauly tends to think about them. Um, and, uh, you know, you can give the illustration of Josh in the high chair. Oh, yeah. yeah. When our firstborn son, Josh, was, uh, I don't know, maybe 18 months old or so, and we were next door at a, our neighbor's house, and Josh was sitting in his high chair, and he was just kind of gobbling up crackers or something, and he started to sort of <coughs> cough. <coughs> like he had gotten something stuck in his throat. And I'm thinking, okay, everything that I've ever read says that as long as a child can cough, he's okay. You know, don't even bother patting him on the back. He'll he'll cough. He'll be fine. And while I'm thinking that, you, Alan, jumped up, grabbed the entire high chair. I did not. You did. You, 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 you grabbed the high chair and turned it upside oh, down with Josh on. strapped in. I it, couldn't. And you do were that. shaking the high I chair. I just got I up am and not was kidding. patting him on no, the back. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty. All funny. right, so I take action when I. I think <laughs> the guy's do. choking. I don't want my firstborn to. You know. At any rate, so, and then, you know, what do you tend to be, Polly? Well, I tend to be very detail-oriented. I'm always looking at all the little patterns and things and all the, the exact time and... Right, uh, and even in this answer, you're going to be very detailed. Exactly. Just give me give, give me enough time. I'll give you more words. <laughs> so, I mean, the uh, GPS has really revolutionized our life because <laughs> I always would f- not follow the directions, and Polly would be reading the map. And oh yeah, I and love maps. I I'm saying we're going left, and she's going. No, the map says go right. So, anyway, I'm just glad I showed up today. <laughs> Well, and I'm I'm a a speller. Like I I've always had the ability to to look at a word and remember how it looks and spell it properly. And I've never been able to spell. I took remedial reading, I took SRA, I took all these different things to try and learn how to spell and I still don't know how to spell your Y O U R Y O U apostrophe R E. At any rate, I should just always go U R. So I tend to be a morning person. And I tend to be a night person. Right. I, you jump out of bed, you're a springer, and I'm a groper. Right. So if, if you don't know what that means, you know, she gets up and she needs her cup of coffee. I'm and slow. physically she may be up, but 11 o'clock is probably when she actually, her body and her mind are clicking together. So the groper is just groping around and the springer just you, know, you wake up and you're awake and you're thinking. I'm ready to and, go. Yep. So I'm very prompt. I think 10 minutes early is on time. Right. And I'm always kind of like trying to get the last things done yeah, before I go. Yeah, like the I laundry go. or cleaning the house. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So I'm you're trying to get out the door. I'm still finishing things up when you're walking out the door. So I tend to run late. 
And I've noticed that <laughs> after 43 years. So I'm a relaxer on vacation. I tend to play golf. I just enjoy that. And what do you do? Well, I want to see if we're going to a destination, I want to see what's there. So yeah. I'm more like a tourist. I, I want to see what sites are there. I, I don't want to go to Paris and not see the Louvre or not not go. Honey, we're just talking about Tucson a couple hours from our <laughs> well, house. Well, but I want to know what's there She to wants see. to go to 20 different places, but we only have a few hours to do it. So. <laughs> Uh, I'm very direct. I grew up in New York. In New York, you just say what you feel and think and, you know, have at it. I know. Well, and I tend to be tactful and to uh, to spare the other person's feelings. So, yeah. Okay. So, Polly got A's and she graduated magna cum laude and I graduated laude how come? But I I would get C's and then remember what the lectures were. And I remember we were with this group called Campus Crusade and we had classes in the summer. And Dr. Sell was one of our marriage teachers. And five years later, after we had had that class, I said, Polly, don't you remember what Dr. Sell said in our marriage class about such and such? And I quoted it and she goes, no. No, but I got an A on the test. Yeah, yeah that was great. <laughs> so um, I tend to be a microwave in the physical area, uh, but I, I tend to wait. Uh, she tends to be a crock pot and yes, needs to I'm be warmed to warm up. up. That's right. I also, um, I like to follow directions. Like if I'm reading a recipe or putting something together, I'm going to Follow the directions as they are written. Yes, I don't know why they put directions in there. <laughs> and some of the people that wrote them were engineers. And I can't, I mean, I'm just so mixed up. Well, I don't the read. thing is, I don't like to make mistakes. Mistakes to me are very painful. Yes. And th- for me, I learned by making mistakes, which did not do me very good in the educational system. Because when you fail a test, you can't make it up. So. Right. Uh, you know, I tend to be a scheduler and look out and make a plan for the future. My kids would always get on me when we would have our little family meetings on Sunday when they were little and get out the whiteboard and would talk about what are we going to do in the summer and it's only October or something. Right. You're much more goal-oriented than I ever was. I just tend to sort of meander through life. I, um... I I appreciate that you make goals. That's part of what you bring into our relationship, that you do set goals and know where you're going to go. So the the important thing about this is that all we're saying is we're different people and we're giving you our specific differences. But you and your relationship with your spouse, there are going to be differences. What we say to people is don't compete with those differences, but complete one another. And so the big overarching idea with commitment is oneness, that that we need to be one and not keep picking on each other for our differences, but rather uh, engage and honor and value those differences so that we can be stronger as a couple. Right. We need to recognize that those differences are completely valid. We need to accept them. And here's the thing that the Lord showed me more recently. We need to bless those differences in the other person to thank the Lord that you are different from me, that he made you specifically to be the way that you are and that the way you are 
pleases God because that's the way he made you. So let me give you a pop quiz out there. I'm just going to read these things. And on a scale of 1 to 10, you rate 1 very poor or 10 great. So I would rate our friendship level. So this is all about commitment. I would rate, sorry, can't talk, our friendship level on a scale of 1 to 10, put a number. I would rate our commitment level on a scale of 1 to 10. 1, not so good. 10, great. I would rate our commitment level to me as what? I would rate my acceptance of you in the physical area, scale of 1 to 10. My ability to accept your personality. I would rate our acceptance of each other's habits and patterns, 1 to 10. I would rate our spiritual relationship. And I would relate our commitment level to the Lord, 1 to 10. And I would relate our commitment level to one another on a scale of 1 to 10. And my encouragement is talk about those things with one another and use this to be able to launch a discussion on how committed are we to the Lord, to one another. And if you want more information on this, just get our book, Marital Mystery Tour. You can get it at our website, walkandtalk.org, O-R-G. And uh, we'll look forward to going on to our next little uh, uh, part of Marital Mystery Tour. And we're going to be talking um, next time about great expectations. This has been Walking Our Talk with Alan and Polly Heller, where we put into action those principles we know from God's Word, one step at a time. You can find more help at our website, walkandtalk.org.
Coming up next is a sermon by Pastor Bill Malter of Arizona Community Church. Today's topic is James 1. I hope you have a blessed time with Pastor Bill. We're going to speak truth. It's going to be encouraging. So uh, be here as we unpack the book of James. Now, James is a really unique book because it's full of practical wisdom. And who doesn't need practical wisdom, right? Okay, good. All right. A few of you need some wisdom. The rest of you, you got it down. Listen, it's full of practical wisdom. There's a lot of books like Romans, for example. The book of Romans can be very theological, and so can many of the other New Testament books. But James is really practical in, on many fronts. It's, it's a lot like the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament. You know the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament? You know, I love the book of Proverbs. One of my favorite Proverbs, in the abundance of counselors, there's victory. Wisdom like that just comes from the book of Proverbs. And James is a lot like that. So if you're looking for a sermon series that's going to give you practical wisdom for navigating today's world, but it's also, it's not just practical wisdom. James hits on some pretty important theological issues that we are going to address as well. And so I'm really excited about that. What's interesting, also interesting about the book of James is it's influenced, James was influenced by a very, very famous sermon that was preached. That famous sermon was by Jesus himself, and it was called the Sermon on the Mount. Now, if you're familiar with the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount is that sermon that Jesus gave in uh, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5 through 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. James knew of that sermon, and he knew it well, and it influenced him. The Sermon on the Mount, by the way, Jesus talks about really practical things like controlling one's anger, right? 2019, we got to control our anger, right? Taking oaths, giving to the needy, other practical issues like this. It's like the It's the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. But it is also perhaps the most practical sermon that has ever been preached. And James is heavily influenced by that. And why was James heavily influenced by that? Well, here's one of the reasons why. It is because James was the half-brother of Jesus. Yes, Mary was their mother. James had the same mother as Jesus did. Now, he didn't have the same father, right? The virgin birth, right? Jesus born by the power of the Holy Spirit. James, though... His father was Joseph. So they had the same father and mother, but so he was his half brother. And what's really interesting is, do you ever wonder what it was like growing up with Jesus behind closed doors? You know, did they have pillow fights? And if so, did Jesus always win? What happened? You know, it's kind of interesting, but this is interesting because James grew up with Jesus. So he knew if anybody knew Jesus, James knew him, knew him inside and out. But here's what's fascinating. There was a time in which James and Jesus's other brothers didn't believe in him, didn't want anything to do with him. As a matter of fact, John 7, 5 says, for even his brothers did not believe in him. So there was a time in which James, who had grown up with Jesus and seen godliness literally lived out for him, didn't believe in him. But all of that changes because James becomes a believer. The power of the resurrection and the truth of who Jesus was overpowers him and he becomes a believer. And not just any believer. He becomes a sold out on fire all in for his big brother type of Christian. As a matter of fact, James rises very quickly to a place of prominence in the early church. Now, when James was alive, guess who else was alive? The disciples. The disciples were still alive. James wasn't one of the original disciples. But what's interesting is early in church history, even though the disciples were still alive, guess who was a prominent player in the church in Jerusalem? It was James. James rises to a very prominent position early on, meaning meaning that God had gotten a hold of his heart and he was sold out for his brother. As a matter of fact, in James 15, we read about the Jerusalem council. 
The Jerusalem Council is the first major council in the history of the church. And guess who's a main player in that? James. When he came to faith in his big brother, when he came to faith in Christ, he was all in. And even though the disciples who walked with Jesus and believed in him long before James ever did were still alive, God raises up James and puts him in a place of leadership in the early church. What's really interesting, this is really interesting, do you know that James was most likely the first book written in the New Testament? So if you were to put your New Testament in order, it wouldn't go Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. It would start with James. James would be the first New Testament book written. And that's important because you will remember that the early church was largely not Gentile, but Jewish. It was largely Jewish. Yes, Gentiles were slowly being brought into the church, but it was still predominantly Jewish in nature. That means when James writes this letter, he's writing primarily to early Jewish Christians. As a matter of fact, when James opens the book, he says this, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. So he's writing to Jewish Christians that are scattered around the Roman Empire. By the way, that's what the word dispersion means. Dispersion simply means Jews that who had been spread around the Roman Empire. So he's writing to Jewish Christians that have been spread around the Roman Empire. And James, with a shepherd's heart, he wants to encourage early Jewish Christians what it looks like to live a consistent Christian life on a daily basis. That's why I said this sermon series is going to be very practical, because James tells us what it's like to live a consistent Christian life in a world that oftentimes seems out of control. And more specifically, what it looks like to live a consistent Christian life in the midst of trials and suffering. Listen, if you were a Jewish Christian in the first century, it wasn't necessarily easy at all. You know that it can be difficult in this country when a person becomes a Christian. And this is a heavily Christian-influenced nation. But a lot of times when people become Christians in this nation, they pay a price for it. Maybe at work, maybe at home. But there is a cost to becoming a Christian, even in a country like this. Imagine 2,000 years ago, being born a Jew, a child of Abraham, a follower of Moses, being steeped in everything Jewish, and then here comes Jesus, and you put your faith in him. You think that counting the cost means something in this generation. It meant something in the first century. Jewish Christians faced the harsh reality of being thrown out of the synagogue, shunned by their community, having their own family disown them, confiscation of property, and yes, even death. And if you can't see what that is, that's Peter right there being crucified upside down. Add to this fact that living a godly life in a fallen, wicked world is Add that to to all the things that the Jews were facing. It's hard living a godly life in a fallen world. The Jews were not only being thrown out of the synagogue and being shunned by their family and losing their property, but they were seeking to live holy, pure lives before the Lord, not just in action, but in their heart of hearts. They were seeking to follow the Lord. And that made it extremely difficult to be a Jewish Christian in the first century. And so it's not surprising at all that James opens his letter by addressing a topic that would have been near and dear to the hearts of the Christians living in the first century. And that is how to live a consistent Christian life in the midst of trials and hard times and difficulties. In other words, how to walk the walk when the walk is tough. How to walk the walk when the walk is tough. This is how James opens his letter. In other words, James opens his letter by giving some really great advice for people who are walking through really crummy times. Now, everybody listen very carefully. And that is great news for everyone in this room right now. And here's why. Because if you are a Christian, then you know full well that walking the Christian walk, 
even in the 21st century, even living in a country that's heavily as influenced by Christianity as the United States is, you know that living the Christian walk can be very difficult and can come at a high price. As believers, life can get pretty crummy at times. I mean, there's trials, there's persecution, there's tough moral decisions that we have to make on a daily basis. But if you are in here and you are a believer today, that you know that living the Christian life comes with many trials and difficulties. As believers, life can get crummy. Sometimes it feels like we're getting hit with one thing after another after another. Lord, when will it ever stop? Listen, putting my faith in Jesus, isn't it supposed to make my life better? No. What did Jesus say to his original disciples? Count the cost, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. If anyone would seek to save his life, he must lose it, right? There is a cost to being a Christian. And because of this, James, with a shepherd's heart, he writes to the first century Jewish Christians who are scattered throughout the Roman Empire and are facing difficult times and trials and hardships, tough moral decisions. It's on that note that he writes to them a precious tender letter. And it's on that note, church, I present to you the word of God this morning. James chapter one, beginning in verse one. Church, I present to you the word of God this morning. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or perseverance. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach or without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Amen. Church, I present to you the word of God this morning. So here's the deal. The Bible is full of shocking statements. Time and again, when you read your Bible, you run across statements that literally stop you dead in your tracks, that literally slap you across the face. And James, after a one-sentence introduction, writes one of the most shocking statements that you will see anywhere in the Bible. And it is this, count it all joy, my brothers, whenever you meet trials of various kinds. A one-sentence introduction and then a slap in the face. Count it all joy. Folks, who says things like this? You want to know who says things like that? Remember when I told you that James was clearly influenced by the Sermon on the Mount? that his big brother Jesus had given? Remember what Jesus had to say about believers who face persecution, trials, and difficulties in life? Well, here's what he said. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Listen, James reminds believers what his big brother Jesus had already told the disciples about 15 years earlier. And that is this, that Christians are to count themselves blessed when we face persecution, trials, and difficulties. James says the exact same thing. But instead of saying, count yourself blessed, he says, count it all joy. Same thing. You see, Jesus and James are saying the exact same thing. And here's what they're saying. So strap yourselves in. You ready? Here it is. Attitude is everything when life becomes difficult. Attitude is everything 
when life becomes difficult. That is exactly what Jesus is saying. And that is exactly what James is saying. The Christian attitude is to be absolutely, positively, 100% unique when, the time, when times get tough. When the going gets tough, we count ourselves blessed. When the going gets tough, we count it all joy. Of course, the temptation for Christians is to do just the opposite. It's to do what the world does. When tough times come, we count ourselves cursed and we begin to despair. And we primarily do that for one main, really big, huge, tragic reason. And you want to know what that one main, really big, huge, tragic reason is? I can tell you what it is. It's the same for all of us. It's because we're looking at things from a worldly perspective. But folks, if there is one group of people on this planet who should never be looking at things from a worldly perspective, it is those of us who are in Christ, believers in Christ. You know, what's interesting is time and again throughout his ministry, Jesus was training his disciples to think from an eternal perspective, not a worldly perspective. Let me give you an example. John 7, 24, Jesus says, judge, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgments. I love that. Judge with right judgments. Jesus is like, you guys make right judgments. Stop thinking like the world. And that's what Jesus spent most of his time doing, training his disciples not to think like the world. Listen, as believers, we have to make judgment calls all the time. Listen, the new year is only about six days old. And already in those six days, you have made probably hundreds, if not thousands of judgment calls. I guarantee you, you have. And every time we make a judgment call, we're either going to make a judgment call from a worldly perspective or an eternal perspective. Those are your only two options. Every time you make a judgment call, and we have to make them all the time, that's how life is. We have to make judgment calls all the time. You're going to, make, you're going to choose one of two perspectives, a worldly perspective or an eternal perspective. Now listen, one of the judgment calls that you and I are going to have to make on a fairly regular basis as believers is what perspective we are going to take when life gets difficult, when life gets ugly, when life gets tough. And we can either adopt a worldly perspective or an eternal perspective. Now brace yourselves, right? The perspective we choose will determine the attitude we have. There it is. The perspective we choose will determine the attitude we have every time, lock, stock, and barrel, 100%. And as Jesus and James have already made it clear, attitude is everything when life becomes difficult. Count yourself blessed. Count it all joy. Attitude is everything when life becomes difficult. You see, when we adopt an eternal perspective, when life becomes difficult, you quickly realize that God is often doing his greatest work in your life during those exact times. Do you understand this? When you choose To adopt an eternal perspective when life becomes difficult, you quickly realize that God is often doing his greatest work in those very times. How do I know that? Because James says as much. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, because God is doing his greatest work. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or perseverance. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Let me ask you a question this morning. What is your greatest goal in 2019? What is your greatest desire in 2019? Most people, of course, make financial goals. Others make, you know, going to lose this, right? You all know I suck in my stomach for three services in a row. It's horrible when I get home. My abs are fried. What are your spiritual goals for 2019? Do you have spiritual goals for 2019? Folks, if it is your desire that God make you into a godly, mature, sold-out believer in this generation, and Lord willing, that is what you want. Listen, folks, life is short. You are here today, gone tomorrow. You are like a vapor that appears for a moment 
and is gone. You are like the grass of the field that is here today, gone tomorrow. That is how quickly your life will go. And I got news for you. Before you even blink, 2019 will be over. What do you want to accomplish in 2019? If not to be sold out for the Lord, to be a prophet in this generation, knowing that God has set your feet in this generation, not to accomplish worldly things, but to accomplish eternal things. What is your greatest desire in 2019? If not to be sold out for the Lord, for him to have all of your heart and for you to speak and preach the gospel with boldness, whether it be here in the United States or in Brazil or somewhere else in this world, God is doing his greatest works in your life often when the heat is on. Look at all the Old Testament prophets. One of the key reasons they were so spiritually powerful was because time and again, God refined these men and women in the fires of trials and tribulations and difficulties. And they came in all forms and shapes and different ways. But through it, these men and women became steadfast, perfect, and complete, lacking nothing, as James says in our passage today. That's what it says. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, not lacking anything, lacking in nothing. Now, remember I told you that James was influenced by his big brother's awesome sermon 15 years earlier on the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount? Remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount about being perfect, mature, complete, not lacking anything? Therefore, it must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Well, it is James who tells us the recipe that God uses to make believers mature and complete, not lacking anything. And one of the key ingredients that God uses in that recipe to make you and I mature is trials and tribulations. It is difficult times. Listen, trials and tribulations may not be your favorite ingredient in the recipe that brings about your spiritual maturity, but it is nonetheless a key ingredient. For without it, you would not be the Christian that you are, and you won't be the Christian that God wants you to become and is making you become and is fashioning you to become. And that is why, folks, and this is very, very important, that is why you don't ever want to be jealous when everyone around you seems to be prospering and the rod of the Lord seems to be heavy upon you. Ever been there, right? You're just like, ah. It's like one trial after another, one difficulty after another. It's like, Lord, when is it going to stop? And then you kind of look around and you're like, hey, wait a minute. Why does no one else seem to be having such a hard time, but it's only me, right? You ever been there? Or is it it's just me? Because they're looking at me like I'm talking nonsense. I know I'm not alone. You, why, you know why I'm not alone? Because Job felt the exact same way. You know Job. You want to talk about a man who knew trials and hardships? Here's what he said. Why do the wicked live, reach old age, and grow mighty in power? Their offspring are established in their presence, and their descendants before their eyes. Their houses are safe from fear, and no rod of God is upon them. Lord, your rod is heavy against me, but I'm looking around, and everybody else seems to be having kids and doing great and prospering and... It's a theological word, by the way. Ugh. It's a, I think it's a Hebrew word, if I'm not mistaken. Folks, whatever you do in this lifetime, do not base the success of your life using worldly standards. Who cares if others are seemingly leading a carefree life? Who cares if others are seemingly prospering by worldly standards? That is none of your business and none of your concern. Base the success of your life using God's standards. And God's standard for success for your life in this generation is that you have a heart that is on fire, sold out, and fully devoted to him in every way and all fronts. Amen? This is what success is. Folks, 2019, before you blink, will be over. It will not matter how much you accumulate, how relaxing or safe it was. What is going to matter in 2019 
is if your heart was on fire, sold out, and fully devoted to the Lord. And that is precisely why you and I, of all people in the world, can count ourselves blessed if in 2019 trials and difficulties come our way. We can count it all joy because God is refining you and me. He's maturing us and completing us. You see, as Christians, we understand that although the outer man might be wasting away, the inner man is what? He's being renewed day by day. I like what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. He says, so we do not lose heart. You want to know when you lose heart? You lose heart when life becomes difficult and everyone else around you seems to be prospering. It's, you can go, oh, Lord, why me? Seriously, give it to someone else for once. So we do not lose heart. Though the outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Folks, that is significant. The outer man and everything that surrounds the outer man is wasting away. As I speak, your face is getting more wrinkled. Sorry, right? You're shortening, right? You know that. I learned that. I'm getting smaller. I used to be 6'3". I'm not 6'3 anymore. And it woe is me, right? <laughs> Here's the point. The outer man is wasting away. And the things surrounding the outer man, the home that you live in is wasting away. The car that you drive is wasting away. The money that you have accumulated and put in bank accounts is unsafe and wasting away. It's not secure. That is why Jesus says, store up treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and thieves can't break in and steal. So we do not lose heart when trials and tribulations come our way, though the outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Listen, what God is doing in your life cannot be seen by human eyes. He is working a miracle in your life. He is maturing you and making you a sold out believer in this generation. So do not lose trials come your way and it doesn't seem to be happening to anyone else. God has got you right where he wants you. He's refining you for this light and momentary affliction. And I know that's what that's saying is it might seem like, wow, this is difficult what you're going through. And it is, but in eternity's sake, in light of eternity, it's really a momentary affliction for this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Folks, the next time that your life is hard and difficult, the next time a trial knocks on your door, you just keep your eyes focused on heaven because what is going to come is going to pale in comparison to what you're going through now, right? Amen? This is the promise of scripture. As we look not to the things that are seen, that's what the world does. We look to the things that are unseen for the things that are seen are transient. I love that word. What a great word to use in this translation. It's transient. Everything's transient. Your health is transient. Your finances is transient. Your pension is transient. Your clothes are, tra- everything you have is wasting away. Your outer man and everything that accompanies the outer man is wasting away. It's transient. You might hold it for a brief second, but it's gone. Doesn't matter what it is, your health, your pension, your family, whatever. It's there and it's gone. For the things that are seen, they are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And guess what is unseen? What is unseen is that godly man or woman that God is raising you up to be. The world may not see what God is doing and they may not appreciate the trials that are in your life or that you face, but guess what? God's got those trials there for a reason. He's refining you. He's making you more godly. And that is why I ask you, what is your goal for 2019? Folks, if it is not to be a person, you want your goal to be that I am a sold out person in every way for the Lord. Now here's some really good news, really good news. When James says, count it all joy, whenever you face trials of many kinds, he gives one of the most encouraging promises in all the scripture. And this is what he says. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. In other words, without finding fault. And it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, 
For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Listen, as believers, we should be praying for wisdom all the time. But especially when you find yourself going through difficult times. And listen, folks, I'm going to teach you a very important spiritual truth. I mean it. Here it is. Trials are wasted where there is no wisdom. Trials are wasted where there is no wisdom. So if you find yourself in a trial, ask God to give you the one thing that makes going through that trial worth it. Wisdom. God wants to shower you with wisdom in the midst of the trial that you're going through. There have been many times I've gone through trials and it's in the midst of the trials that God gives you wisdom that is so precious and so good. One of the reasons I think that God often puts us through trials is he's stripping us. He's stripping us of our idolatry. He's stripping us of the things that are distracting us, but he's stripping us. And there's times I've gone through trials and I'm literally standing before the Lord as a child with nothing. And it's like, God, you've stripped everything away and the trial that I'm going through is so difficult. But it's in that moment that God, that I realize that this little piece of wisdom that is so great, that God's grace is sufficient for me then. God's grace is sufficient for me then. One of the most precious times, I think, is when God strips a believer down to nothing and they're literally standing before the Lord with open arms like a child saying, Lord, I have nothing but you. And it's in that moment that we're reminded, God, you are sufficient. Your grace is sufficient. You're all I need. Precious. Remember what the Bible says. What are the sacrifices that God desires? But a broken and contrite heart he will not despise. So again, the next time you find yourself going through a child, ask God to give you the one thing that makes going through that child worth it. Wisdom. Proverbs 16, 16 says, how much better to get wisdom than gold, to get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. Listen, the world chases after silver. The world chases after gold, not you and me. We're chasing after something far more precious. That is the mind of God, the wisdom of God. If you are here today and you are going through a child, no one understand this. God has wisdom for you. Ask him for it. Don't doubt as Christians, when life gets tough, we can often become so anxious that we never stop to consider why we're there, why God has us there. God has you there for a reason. Remember, trials are wasted where there is no wisdom. So often when a trial ends, we find ourselves saying, I'm glad that's over, right? Listen, folks, there is nothing wrong with rejoicing when a trial comes to an end, but know that you know what you should really be rejoicing over. Not that the trial is over, but that God has stripped you and filled you with wisdom and understanding that he has taken your mind off the things of the world and set them on things above. Folks, there is literally no limit to the amount of wisdom God can give to a believer that is going through a trial. Folks, ask, don't doubt. God promises to give you what you need in your time of need. Listen, in a room this size with this many people, I know that there are many of you here today that are going through trials, difficulties, hard times, Know that God's got you right where he wants you. And we'll pray for that trial to end and we'll walk with you as that trial perhaps progresses in your life. But know you're not alone. God's here for you. The church is here for you. Let me pray. Father in heaven, as we go into 2019, we are reminded that following you isn't always easy. It can be very difficult, challenging, trying. God, trials often come into our lives. And God, when they come, it can be so hard. But God, we trust that in those moments, you're doing your greatest work in us. God, you're refining us. You're stripping us. You're setting our mind on things above. Lord, as we enter 2019, we enter it with hearts desiring to be sold out for you, committed to you in every way. 
In the quietness of your heart, I invite you just to spend a moment in private prayer. If you're going through a trial, ask God for wisdom. Ask him for perseverance. Maybe you know somebody that's going through a trial. Intercede for them and ask for these things for them. Spend a moment in prayer. So Father, we start this new year with our hearts and minds focused on you, willing and ready to receive whatever it is you have for us. God, the only thing that we ask is that you would use us in this new year to be lights to this generation. We love you. We thank you. And we pray these things in Christ's name. And the church said, amen. See you.
like the voice of one crying in the wilderness, makes straight the way of the Lord. Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries is looking for those who will partner with us in this ministry of making a path straight for the Lord directly to the hearts of listeners. If you would like to partner with us to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and deliver the saving grace of our Lord to others through volunteering, through prayer, and through donations, please call us at 602 866 8999. Coming up next is, It's Time to Pray the Bible. Hello, my name is Deborah Joy. I am the host of this program, It's Time to Pray the Bible. The book of Proverbs is my favorite book of the Bible. I have fallen in love with this beautiful book of Hebrew poetry of divine wisdom. These true revelations unlock encounters to experience knowing God in His perfect ways. The Hebrew word for Proverbs is mashal, which has two meanings. The first meaning is a parable, metaphor, and byword of wisdom. And the second one is to rule, to take dominion, and to reign with power. Today's first scripture reading is from Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge, and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. Strong's definition of the Hebrew word for wisdom from verse 2 is chokmah, which means skillful, wisdom, wisely, and wit. Also, chokmah is the knowledge and the ability to make the right choices at the opportune time. This word is used in Proverbs 41 times. The second scripture reading is from Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. My son, if you'll receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver, and search for her as for hidden treasures. Then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. The last scripture reading is from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 8. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. 
in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. I pray that God will unlock these kingdom revelations of wisdom in our hearts and teach us how to walk in His ways so we can rule and reign with His power and authority as beloved sons and daughters of the mighty King. Father, we praise You for blessing us with Your kingdom revelations to live by and words of wisdom given to empower us to reign in life. God, fill us with a revelation of wisdom and the impartation of spiritual understanding so we can use them as keys to unlock the treasures of true knowledge to demonstrate wisdom in every relationship and choose what is right and just. These proverbs will give us great skill to make us wise with the understanding of our destinies, and we will be able to acquire brilliant strategies for leadership. Father, we desire to acquire your wisdom, for wisdom comes when we are consumed with awe as we worship you with undivided devotion and avoid everything that's wrong. Then we will find the healing refreshment our bodies and spirits long for. We glorify you, mighty God, with all our wealth, honoring you with our very best, with every increase that comes to us. Then every dimension of our lives will overflow with your abundant blessings from an uncontainable source of inner joy. Lord, pour out your spirit of wisdom upon us and empower us to make right decisions as we walk into our destinies. Your divine insight brings us success giving us grace-filled thoughts and reins to guide our decisions in truth and righteousness. The revelation of your word always makes our hearts wise and teaches us how to follow your ways, faithfully protecting and guarding us every moment. Let our lives be shaped by integrity and purity with your truth and wisdom written upon our hearts, for they impart abundant life and radiant health into the very core of our beings. God, we long to live undisturbed in your heavenly peace and blissful joy. With your divine confidence and courage, we will rest unafraid and shelter from the storms of life. Father, train our hearts to listen to your wisdom when you speak and open our spirits wide to expand our discernment. Then we will teach and pass this on to our sons and daughters. 
Lord, you lay the earth's foundations with wisdom's blueprints. By your living understanding, all the universe came into being. You are the Lord of wisdom and a mighty shield to those who put their trust and confidence in you. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Amen.
shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home. What joy shall fill my heart? Then I shall bow in humble adoration and there proclaim, My God, how great Thou art! Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee, how great Thou art, how great Thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee, how great Thou art, how great Thou art. How great Thou art, how great Thou We are now ending our Unity in Christ broadcast. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to being with you again next week. Mm -hmm.